Hello, Sawbona, how's it? Molo, Jambo, and welcome to Every Nation Devon Podcast. We hope this message will inspire you and draw you closer to Christ. Enjoy. Well, it's wonderful to see you this morning. We are continuing our series called Disciple Shift. Can you do a shift? Come on, white people, we can do it. <laughs> it's just, you know, we just don't have that, like, I don't know what. I don't, maybe it's just me, I don't know. <laughs> We're talking disciple shift, not discipleship, because the, the whole point of the series is this, is that there are some important shifts we need to make in order to be a disciple of Jesus. Now remember the goal here this morning, people, is not that we would gather as a crowd. It's not that we would just fill these seats. It's not that we would just sing good songs. The goal here this morning is that every single one of us will become more excellent at following Jesus. That each and every one of us will become a better representation of Him in our families, in our marriages, to our children, in our jobs, in our workplaces, in the city. The goal is that we become disciples. It's not converts who change the world. It's disciples who turn the world upside down for Jesus. And so our goal with this series is to look at some fundamental shifts that need to take place if we want to be better disciples of Jesus. And we looked at the shift from lust to love. An important shift, eh? Get out of the lust thing, amen? We're out of that thing and we're into love, all right? Agape love. Last week, our uh, gorgeous ladies, Trish, and was uh, preaching on from victim to victor. And how, be- how awesome was that sermon? Hey, just having about having the mind of Christ. Today, I want to talk about the shift from comfort to kingdom. There's an important shift in order to be a disciple of Jesus, and it is the shift from pursuing comfort to pursuing the kingdom of God. I want you to imagine for this this morning, for just a moment, that this couch represents my comfort. This is my comfort zone in life. This is where I feel pretty good. I know there's somebody online right now doing exactly this. Oh, oh, this feels good. <laughs> Are you guys comfy? Because I am. <laughs> I want you to imagine for a moment that this couch represents everything in my life that I am building here on earth to make my life better. This, ha- this couch represents my stuff, my, my house. Maybe it's my car. Maybe it's my, my sofa. It represents actually my couch, yes. My favorite couch, my favorite chair. All the, all the stuff I have, my savings, my retirement annuity, my insurance policies, my, my money in my bank, my savings. My, this, is, this is all my stuff, my cool man bag, my... <laughs> my cool handbag, ladies, my nice clothes, my wardrobes, my, this is everything, this is all my stuff, all right, that like 
I like and I enjoy that serves me. And it also represents all my relationships, all my peeps, all the people I like and enjoy and hang around, my people, you know, my culture, my family, my friends, my, my canonies, my brothers, my sisters, you know, my, my little gang, my, my hangout. This is my comfort zone. This is the little zone that I build in my life to make my life comfortable. And you know what? Some people spend their entire lives building this couch. This is their highest purpose, to have a comfortable life, to have people around them that they like and that like them, to have stuff that they like. This is their ultimate aim and purpose in life is just to live a comfortable life. In fact, if we look at media today, what is media selling us? What is the world trying to sell us? Is it not a comfortable life? Is it not a more restful and more luxurious, a more status life in this world? Everything that's being pumped at us online, everything is all about you and your comfort and your little zone. And many people spend so much time just building this comfort zone. But you know what? When we read the Bible, what we notice is that God <laughs> keeps calling people out of their comfort zones. Abraham was really chilled in the Ur of Chaldeans, hanging around his people, in his tribe, in his culture, just, you know, his family, his zone of comfort. And God said to Abraham, leave your country and your people and go to a land that I will show you. In other words, if you want to follow me, and if you want to live for something that's bigger than your little comfort, it's going to require you to leave your comfort zone. He is the father of our faith. That's where the whole story starts. The whole story starts with somebody leaving their comfort zone. In fact, if you look around life today, that anything that's really good or beneficial to humanity has started, was started, by somebody who left their comfort zone. This church was started by somebody who left their comfort. Their people, their family in Cape Town, they moved up to Durban with their wife and small baby, and they started this church that we get to enjoy today. It wasn't me that we get to enjoy this day. I didn't even know I'd be leading this church. They didn't even, you know, you don't even know what God has in mind. 20-something years later, but it took somebody leaving their comfort zone. And it doesn't just stop with Abraham. Look at Moses, hanging out with the sheep, chilling in the desert, not much to think about other than sheep things. <laughs> and what does God do? He says, nah, I've got something bigger. I want to build a nation. 
out of a whole bunch of slaves. And I'm going to send you to the most powerful man on the earth. And you're going to speak to him and tell him, let my people go. And Moses is like, nah. Nah. <laughs> I'm going to hang out here with the sheep. He tries to protest. Why did he protest? I can't speak. I can't talk very well. What am I going to say to him? Who am I to go? What, who shall I say sent me? All these questions, all these things he had to guess God. What was, what was, why was Moses protesting? Because it was out of his comfort zone that God was calling him. And it doesn't just stop with Abraham and Moses. It goes on to the disciples. Leave your nets. Follow me, and I'll make you fishers of men. Okay. Well, hang on, if you think about it, even Jesus had to leave the comfort of heaven and the fame and the fortune and the riches and the power of heaven and come and be become a man and humble himself and become a man and become poor for our sakes so that we might become rich. Even Jesus had to leave the comfort of heaven in order to achieve the purpose of God. What does this teach us? Is that if we want to live for something higher than our own lives, we're going to have to leave our comfort zones. And Jesus even taught this. He said in Matthew chapter 16, he says, if any man wishes to come after me, what does it say? Come on, let's read it together. Then Jesus said, Couldn't be more clear. What was Jesus saying when you have to deny yourself, pick up your cross and follow me? He was basically saying, if you want to live a comfortable life where you feel safe, <laughs> where nothing's going to threaten you, know this, that you can't follow me. Because typically, what, he's going to take us out of our comfort zones. So the point is this morning is that we can either live a comfortable life or we can live a kingdom life. And I want to ask you the question, which one are you pursuing? Let's unpack this more. Let's go to Matthew chapter 16, but let's pray before we get into the Word. Father in heaven, we come before you this morning, and we thank you, Father God, that your plans for us are good, and that everything good starts with your Word. Your Word, Lord, brings life, healing, and direction. And so we treasure your word more than our daily bread. And in this moment, we boldly confess that our minds are alert and our hearts are open. And we say, speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. Amen. Are you in Matthew chapter 16? Let's look at verse 13. It says the following. When Jesus had come into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? The, who, do, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said to him, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but who do you say I am? And Simon Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said to him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, 
For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter Kephas, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Spore, I've got a bit of a boom here this morning. Can you get that? So I know this pa- you guys have heard this passage really well uh, many times before, and we know it very well. What, what is actually going on in this passage? Well, you know, sometimes we can read passages like this, and we can, and we can be like, yeah, you know, yeah, you know, the gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church, and yeah, I've got the keys of the kingdom, and you know, we, we just, we take these verses, but sometimes we can lose just how incredible this moment really was because we were not actually there in the very setting where Jesus was. Where were they when Jesus said these words? What was that verse 13 say? When they came to the region of? Caesarea Philippi. Now, I want to show you a picture of Caesarea Philippi this morning. Avi, if you wouldn't mind just going to the next slide. All right. This is an artist's reconstruction of the town or the city called Caesarea Philippi. And as you can see, it's, uh, it's, at that time, it was a Roman town. It had been conquered by the Romans. It was a Greek town before that. And it's a very interesting place that Jesus comes to. He walks all this way. And he, you know, everything Jesus does is strategic, people, okay? There's not one word that's kind of just in J, you know, like, ah, I just said that, but didn't really mean it or whatever. He, everything about him was just so strategic, even the places where he chose to reveal certain revelation to us. He arrives at this place called Caesarea Philippi, at this Roman town that has been conquered uh, uh, previously, the Greek town. And I want you to notice that this town sits at the base of Mount Hermon. That big mountain over there going up to the right is Mount Hermon. So this town, village, city is at the base of Mount Hermon. And I want you to notice that there's this massive rock face. It's still there to this day. You can actually go there to this day. You can see all the ruins and everything. There's this massive rock face. It's like, I don't know, maybe one, 200 feet high that, that forms this kind of like backdrop to the entire city. And in this rock face is a cave called the Grotto of Pan. Not Peter Pan. <laughs> A different kind of pan. Grotto is another name for cave. This cave, right, went down into went down into the mountain. It was really deep. There was water in there. A stream flowed flowed out of there, forming the river called the River Benias. That river flowed out of the cave through the city and down. It was quite a significant river. And they called that cave the Grotto of Pan. Because Pan was a pagan god that used to be worshipped in Greek mythology and Greek religion, and then was adopted by Romans. Pan was that god that looks half man, half goat. You've seen him. He's got like goat legs and goat horns, but the torso of a man and the face of a man. 
And this God was the God of fertility, flocks, herds, livestock, all of that sort of thing. And so they worshipped Pan in that cave because they believed it was in this cave that the gods, including Pan, would go and hibernate during the winter and then come out again in the spring. And so what people used to do was they would go into those caves and they had built temples and shrines into that rock face that are still surviving to this day. You can see them. To this God called Pan, they would, Pan, they would come and bring offerings. There would be sacrifices taking place there and all manner of pagan licentiousness, prostitution, bestiality, all sorts of stuff that I can't even mention here in church was going on in that cave. It was like a massive idolatrous thing happening. <laughs> People used to travel all over because they believed it was a, from all over to be there because they believed it was a sacred site. They believed that the grotto of Pan was the gate to the underworld. That that's where the gods would go to the underworld and resurface from the underworld. So I want you to imagine that in people's minds, there is this gate of demonic coming out, or they didn't think it was demonic, they just thought it was gods, coming out onto the earth influencing humanity and causing all manner of destruction, child sacrifice, you name, whatever you can imagine, it was happening there at the Grotto of Pan. Jewish men would not even go near Caesarea Philippi. Remember, this was probably the northern part of, of Israel when the kingdom divided under Jeroboam. This is where Baal worship started as well. It just morphed into Pan worship over the years. So this was a detestable site. Jewish people coming from the southern kingdom would not even go near this place because of the licentiousness that was happening in the city, because of the idolatry and the worship happening in the city. And it was detestable to them. But what does Jesus do? He takes them out of their comfort zone. And he brings them to this very place. And I want you to imagine that this is now the backdrop for his conversation with his disciples. It's at this backdrop that he then says to them, who do men say that I am? On that backdrop. I need a, I need a Peter this morning. Lago, can you come and be a Peter this morning? Lago is my Peter. <laughs> <laughs> that was funny. Nice one. Oh. <laughs> it's on that backdrop that Jesus then says, who do men say that I am? And they say, okay, da 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 da, da. And then Simon Bar Jonah, is it Simon Bar Jonah, speaks up and says, you're the Christ. You're the son of the living God. Jesus then says these words, blessed are you, Simon, because flesh and blood have not revealed this to you, but my Father in heaven. And on this rock, rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell. So what is the rock? On this rock, I'll build my church. It's the revelation that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. On that rock, Peter had a revelation. 
All right, he spoke it out. He saw you were the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus blessed are you because on that revelation, I'm going to build what? A church, Peter. So here he is. The disciples are watching him. There's the gate of hell behind them. And he says, on this rock, this revelation of who I am, I'm going to build a thing called the church. And against this, the gates of hell will not prevail. Thank you, Peter. You can give him a hand for being a great Peter. <clears throat> People, I want you to see this morning that Jesus is declaring war. <laughs> you know, gentle Jesus, meek and mild, you know, goldy flowing hair with stroking lamb. It's not really the Jesus we see here. Jesus never shied away from a battle. He actually quite enjoyed picking a few fights. This is one of those moments. This is a moment where he literally stands, brings them out of their comfort zone, stands them at the entrance to the gates of hell and says, everything that's happening in there will not be able to stand against this thing called the church that I'm building. And the church is founded on a rock called the revelation of who I am. This was a declaration of war. This was Jesus saying, I am come not so that you can just live a comfortable life. I have come to put an end to evil on earth. He chose the most detestable place in the land at that very moment and said, all of this is going to stop because I've come. And as you help people to get a revelation of who I am, their life will be changed. And from that, a kingdom will be built. And that kingdom is so strong and so powerful, it will pull down empires and it will change whatever's happening in there and make it the kingdom of God on earth. And guess what? I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom. And whatever you bind on earth, like this kind of stuff, will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be what's loosed in heaven. In other words, I want heaven on earth, and I want stuff like this to stop. This is a declaration of war. This is him summoning his troops together and saying, guys, this is not about a comfortable life. I want you to see that you're engaged in a battle. There's something bigger to live for here than your own comfort. I want heaven on earth, and I'm going to give you the keys. I'm going to give you the authority. I'm going to give you the ability, and you can do it. You are not to be intimidated by evil. You are not to shy away when the world is getting rotten and, and steeped in corruption and everything is wrong in the workplace. This is your moment. This is what you were born for. Don't shy away. You are the church and against the church, the gates of hell will not prevail. I don't think I need to elaborate this morning on how the gates of hell are prospering in our very own city and in our nation. I don't think I even need to elaborate on how we're witnessing security guards getting their heads split open on videos and how women are not safe to take bolt rides or walk down the road at night. 
or boyfriends chopping up their girlfriends in our, in, in our city, in our nation. How teenagers are just being led astray into all sorts of damaging evil. How our nation is literally being strangled by a grip of corruption and greed. How we're seeing neighborhoods getting wrapped up in addictions, literally entire neighborhoods wrapped up in drug addictions that are destroying families and lives. People, I don't think I need to tell you that there is a gate of hell in our very city that's pouring out evil into this earth and influencing and changing people's lives. And you know what? In the midst of all this chaos that's going out there, Satan comes along to the church and he tries to deceive the church and say, all you have to do is build a nice little couch. Just make a comfortable couch. Don't look out there. Just sit here and get comfy. And make sure you got your insurance and make sure you're comfy and that you got your place, safe place. And just watch another series and just don't worry about that. Live a nice, comfy life. Have we forgotten who we are? Have we forgotten who we are? Have we forgotten that we are the church? against which the gates of hell will not prevail? Have we forgotten that we have the keys of the kingdom and that we have authority here? That Satan doesn't actually have authority here. Oh, he's big. Oh, he's intimidating. Oh, he makes a big noise. But guess what? He is a defeated foe. He is defeated. He is an imposter. He is a liar. He makes himself look much bigger than what he really is. We have the keys. We have the authority. And wherever we stand and put our feet, that is the place that the Lord has given to us. It's time for the church to arise wherever we are and start using the keys of the kingdom. Start making a few declarations and saying, no, we will not tolerate what's happening in this nation. No, we'll not tolerate what's happening in this family, in the city. We will start to stand up and pray and fight and declare and win people to the Lord and, and be the church that Jesus called us to be. This is what we've been enlisted in. I could imagine Jesus taking us, some of us to some areas of our city and saying these very same words, who do you say I am? what will you say? On the backdrop of massive evil, think of the most worst place in the city that you know. Jesus takes you there, and he says, who do you say I am? What are you going to say? Where do you feel intimidated? Where do you feel like the least empowered in your life right now? Jesus comes into that space and says, who do you say I am? What will you say? <laughs> You're going to say, you are the son of the living God. Amen? Saints, I want to encourage us this morning. Let's get off the couch. And let's do something for the kingdom of God. You know, I think about Esther. In the Bible, chapter 4, Esther chapter 4. Her people are facing annihilation from the king because of some scheme of some evil people. 
And her uncle comes to her because she's in the palace. She's in the, she's, she's the queen. She's, she's in the palace. She knows the king, etc. He comes to her and pleads with her, do something about this. And she says, no, I can't because I'm not allowed to speak to the king just like in jail. I can't go unless he invites me. It's, I, I get killed if I do that. And Mordecai goes, oh, okay. Well, know this, Queen Esther, that if you keep silent in this time, help will arise for the people of God from somewhere. But perhaps you were born for such a moment as this. Why did Esther protest at first? Because she didn't want to get killed. Because <laughs> she didn't want to leave the comfort zone. She didn't want to step out, put herself out there, risk a little, whatever. She, you know, come on, we're all the same. You know, I remember Jesus telling me to go to my Hindu neighbors who were struggling to have a child, and he told me, go read Genesis to them. Tell them how every barren womb opened. I'm like, oh, Jesus. <laughs> really? <laughs> That is so out of my comfort zone. <laughs> Hi. How you guys? Yeah, I'm also great. Hey, I was wondering if I could come in and just read something encouraging to you. Yeah, sure, sure, come on in. What a powerful, beautiful moment where they were so touched. But you know what, before that, I had to listen to One Way Jesus 25 times. <laughs> if we want to see the kingdom come, we're going to have to step out a little more. We're going to have to go into places that make us a little bit afraid. Places that require us to put in a little bit more extra efforts. That take us out of that comfortable safe place that we're in, and maybe it's to go to people that are not normally like us or that are different to us, or maybe it's to put in a little more prayer or a little more giving or a little something for the kingdom. Why? Because we're not living for this. I want you to know, people, that this is a deception. This is a strategy of the enemy to paralyze you so that everything out there becomes his. Jesus said, whoever desires to save his life will lose it. <laughs> if you try to save your life and have a comfortable life, guess what? You're going to lose it. You can't hold on to this life. You cannot. You cannot build such a comfortable, safe life on this earth. It is impossible. Thieves break in and steal. Stock markets crash. Nations go to war. Let me tell you something. If you're banking just on having a comfortable life here, you are anchoring yourself on something that is completely shaky. You've been deceived. Shift from that false image and God and start serving the God of the kingdom. Jesus said this in Luke 22, verse 29. He said, I bestow upon you a kingdom, just as my Father bestowed one on me. 
I want you to know this morning that you have been given a kingdom to build. Wherever Jesus went, his number one sermon was the kingdom of God. Repent, for the kingdom of God is near. All he preached about was the kingdom of God. He gave his life to the kingdom, and he told us in Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom, not stuff, not comfort, not this like idolatrous lifestyle that, that the world is trying to sell you. We have been given a kingdom to advance on this earth. It has been bestowed upon us. Many Christians sit their lives in church not understanding this, serving the false god of comforts all their days, not realizing that a kingdom has been bestowed upon them. But that's not us, amen? We're going to make that shift and say, no, we're coming out of that, and we're coming into building the kingdom. How is the kingdom advanced, you ask? The kingdom is advanced when lost people become saved. Remember, Jesus said to his disciples that the kingdom is not over there or here or comes with observance, but the kingdom is within you. When you give your life to Jesus, and people, if you haven't done that, today is your day. Amen? If you have not yet given your life to Jesus, today is your day. Amen? When you give your heart to Jesus, the kingdom of God comes inside of you. And it's advanced inside of you. But not only when lost people become saved does the kingdom advance, but also when saved... Wait, let me just stop there, actually. Can I tell you what the rule, what's wrong with the world today? A whole lot of lost people. Yeah. Can I tell you what's wrong with our nation right now? I know you're going to say, corruption, greed. No, lost people. <laughs> that's, that's what's really the problem. All right? Lost people are children of Satan. That's what Jesus taught. And they are gates of hell. And they bring forth all manner of hell upon the earth. So what's the answer to building the kingdom of God on earth? Let's get people saved. Amen? Let's preach the gospel. We can see a whole lot of stuff shift around when, when your boss gets saved, people. What does he really need? He needs Jesus. <laughs> I can tell you now. <laughs> All out of Jesus, some of you say. <laughs> Not only that, but when saved people become discipled, the kingdom advances. Because, you know, some of us come into this kingdom, we have to unlearn a whole lot of stuff we were doing before. We were the gates of hell on earth, but now we're the gates of heaven. And there's a skill and a process to learning how to do that better. For some of us, it's quite a long process, <laughs> quite a, a, a conviction-abounding process. <laughs> but the point is that as we get discipled and become skilled at following Jesus, the kingdom is advancing. And then when discipled people start living lives of impact, the kingdom advances as well. It's those three things that advance the kingdom of God and earth. And I want to say, if we're not involved in those three transactions taking place, then a very important question to ask ourselves is, are we living for comfort or are we living for the kingdom? In Revelation 11 and verse 15, it says, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and his Messiah and he will reign forever. 
There's going to come a day when Jesus will come back and everything in this world will become his instantly. He's coming back with his angels in flaming fire and he's going to come and bring judgment on the earth. Everything that is wrong with the earth will be put right in that moment. And there are many Christians, listen to me, church, there are many Christians who are saying, Jesus, come back. It's too bad out there. And there's a lot of Christians who think, oh, Lord, when are you coming back? And yes, we do long for the Lord to come back, but I want you to know that the hope of the world is not Jesus coming back. Sometimes we put our hope in that and say, oh, the only hope for this place is that Jesus would come back and sort it all out. How many of you said stuff like that? I'm guilty. Jesus, come back. Sort it all out. I want you to know that Jesus' return is not the hope of the world. It's the judgment of the world. It's the, it's the moment that the world has no more hope. When Jesus comes back, all hope is gone for the world. Until Jesus comes back, the hope of the world is the church. That's you and me. Have a look around this morning. Have a look around. You're looking at the hope of the world. This is, this is it. A bunch of razzmatazz. <laughs> cool looking. <laughs> Ordinary. Not high, powerful, mighty, famous, incredible. It's us. Us in this room. This is the hope of the world. I read this thing from John G. Lake this, this week, and it just hit me really hard. And John G. Lake came to South Africa, and some of the, I mean, there was an outpouring of the Holy Spirit, a revival that happened here in South Africa that was just 100 years ago that was phenomenal. It was like just hundreds of thousands of people getting saved, churches, hundreds of churches being birthed and all over the nation. And this is what John G. Lake said in that time. He said this. He said, when I came in, I found that they had rearranged the chairs in a circle, and they had a little table at the end, and on the table was bread and wine, and old Father van der Waal, speaking for the company, said, Brother Lake, <laughs> during your absence, we have come to a conclusion and we have made our decision. We want you to serve the Lord's Supper. We are going back to our fields. We're going back if we have to walk back. We're going back if we have to starve. We're going back if our wives die. We're going back if our children die. We're going back if we die ourselves and we have only one request that when we die, we want you to come and bury us. John G. Lake said, the next year I buried 12 men, 16 wives, and children. He says, in my judgment, there was not one of them that if they had a few things a man needs to eat, 
that they might have lived. And he said this, he said, friends, when you want to find out why the power of God came down from heaven like it never came down before since the time of the apostles, there is your answer. That is the kind of consecration that established Pentecost in South Africa. I'm not saying this morning that we need to go and do that. In the last two weeks ago, I met a, a man who came and visited me and told me how he's going to Madagascar. Hugh and Julie, you know him. Yeah, Nick. He came, came and visited me. He said, he's going to Madagascar. I'm like, why are you going to Madagascar? Because he says there's like, I don't know, how many? A million people there who are unreached. In other words, they have no church. They have nothing in their own culture that can actually reach them. There's nothing. They're unreached. And he's just going to get on a ship and go and learn a new language and, and do it. <laughs> and do it for Jesus. <laughs> and I'm not saying like we have to go and do that, okay? I'm not saying you need to go sell everything and lose your wife and kids in the process. I'm not saying that. But considering the men and the women who got us here. And considering some of the men, the caliber of the men and women that we are surrounded by to this very day, I think the least we can do is get off the couch and start advancing the kingdom of God. The very least that we can do. Let's break this down. How does the kingdom advance? It advances when lost people become saved. How do lost people get saved? Well, because we pray for them, because we invest in them. In other words, we love them, build relationally with them, because we invite them to church, we invite them to connect group, we invite them to color conferences, to men's camps, and at some point we share the gospel with them as well, hopefully quite early. When saved people become, how do saved people become disciples? They become disciples when we pray for them, when we train them, when we coach them through the BFC, amen? And when we counsel them on life's decisions, who they're going to marry, what kind of life they're going to live, when they're going to do this with their business, we, we counsel them and train them and coach them. They become discipled. And disciple people start to live lives of impact when we pray for them, when we encourage them, and when we hold them accountable. I want to say, there's a couple verbs there. Can you see them? I underlined them. Pray, invest, invite, share, pray, train, coach, counsel, pray, encourage, hold them accountable. There's some verbs there. And I want to ask, are these verbs part of your life? have a good look. Maybe you could tick one or two. Maybe you can tick all of them. I think we should all tick all of them. I mean, I mean, lost people getting saved. Yo, pastor, you don't know the lost people in my life. <laughs> who do you say that Jesus is? When you're looking at those impossible people, who do you say that Jesus is? Is he not the savior of mankind? If we're going to reach lost people, we've got to make a little bit of time for them, to pray for them every single day, 
We've got to start investing in them, inviting them intentionally. Start living intentionally for lost people. And if each one of us reaches someone, man, the kingdom's advancing, church. The kingdom, who knows what family you're saving, what marriage you're saving, what generations you're impacting when you share the gospel with somebody. Oh, it's going to take you out of your comfort zone. You're going to have to learn how to share the gospel. You're going to have to learn how to answer some difficult questions. You're going to have to learn how to go, oh, I don't know if I can invite them to this. This is uncomfortable. But invite them anyway. You're going to have to step out of your comfort zone if we're going to see lost people getting saved. You know, when the Apostle Paul got saved, Ananias had to step out of his comfort zone to go and find him and disciple him, yeah? And when Ananias brought Paul to Jerusalem, nobody wanted to go near him. It took Barnabas, who said, no, 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 this guy's okay. He's not here to kill us. <laughs> Thank God for Ananiases. Thank God for Barnabases, who open their homes, who invite these people in, who spend time discipling the next generation, investing in them, coaching them, making sure they got the foundations of the faith right. Praise God for all those encouragers like Barnabas who, who spur other people on to do works of impact. People, this is how the kingdom is advanced. Amen? Ashes, if you wouldn't mind getting ready with communion, we're going to take communion together as a family. Um, I want to just share this little story with you in closing. <clears throat> and you can start handing it out now. And if you get the communion, please just hold it in your hand because we're going to do it together. And, and if, you're, if you're not a Christian and you don't know what this is about, then we just don't feel bad just saying, no, not for me. Okay, it's really okay. This is something that we do as Christians to unite with Jesus, okay, and to remember what he did for us. I want to tell you a little story which kind of encapsulates everything that I'm going after in this message. And it's the story of Sir Ernest Shackleton, who was an explorer who lived like a hundred years ago. And Sir Ernest Shackleton had a ship, and he was using an exploring ship, and he was using it to explore the polar regions. Okay, talk about an adventure, going to the polar regions, to map the polar regions and explore the polar regions. And he was doing it on behalf of the queen at that time. So Ernest Shackleton had uh, an entire crew on his ship. And as you know, things can get dangerous in the polar regions very quickly. And what happened was things got extremely cold. And overnight, their ship was frozen solid into an area while they were sailing through, navigating through those areas that made it impossible for them to get out. They were literally stuck in the ice and would be for me forever. They would run out of supplies and then eventually they would die on the ship. And so he made a hard call. 
And he gathered his crew together. And he said, men, we're going to have to take these lifeboats off the ship. We're going to have to drag them 350 miles to the nearest open sea. And then we're going to have to navigate our lifeboats a thousand miles to the nearest port of safety. What a challenge. What a massive challenge. And he said, men, if we're going to have any chance of making this journey, what we're going to have to do is travel extremely light. And at that moment, he reached in his pocket and he pulled out a few gold coins that he had. And he looked at his men and he threw them into the snow. He also pulled out a pocket Bible that was given to him by the queen. And he flipped it open and he turned to Psalm 23, which we heard this morning during worship. What a coincidence. And a God incident. And he tore out Psalm 23 and he paged to the front where the queen had inscribed the Bible and he tore out that page and he folded them up neatly and put them in his pockets and he put the Bible in the snow. And he turned around and grabbed a boat and started walking. And his crew did the same. And miraculously, they made it with some losses along the way. But I just thought that was such a beautiful illustration. Guys, the ship is sinking. And there's really one thing that matters in this world. Is did people know about Jesus? Did they become a disciple of Jesus? It's the only thing that's going to save their life. And let me tell you something. I think some of us need to travel a little more lightly. We've been valuing these gold coins just a little too much. We've been we've, we've holding on to a few comforts a little too much. Maybe we need to put down a few things so we can help others make the journey to eternal life. Can we bow our heads and, and let's pray. Let's all stand to our feet as well, please. just remember our king this morning who gave up the comforts of heaven so that we could have the kingdom his body was broken friends let's break the bread and eat it his blood was spilled so we could have eternal life. Let's remember it came at cost. It came at sacrifice. It came from a Lord, a Messiah, who gave himself for us so we could have eternal life. And as we take this, let's recommit our lives 
to stop living for comfort and start living for his kingdom. Let's take the wine together. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we recommit our lives to you. We recommit our hearts to you. Lord, we make a decision this morning to let go of a few things that are slowing us down in this battle. We commit to just letting go of some of these things that are corrupting us, Lord God. And we make a decision this morning to pursue your kingdom on earth. We make a decision this morning to to live again for your kingdom. And in that moment, Lord, where it's hard to share about you or testify for you, we're going to have something inside of us that says, no, not comfort. Comfort's not going to win. Your kingdom's going to win in this moment. Build a strength in us, Lord. Build a perseverance in us. Help us not to be deceived, Lord God, in these end times. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Paul's going to come up and just send you guys. Church, let's stand that attitude of prayer and open up our hearts to receive as we as I speak the word of God and release a blessing of us today. Sons and daughters of the living God, may you abide daily in the love of God most high, knowing that nothing can separate you from his love. May you know that you are his beloved, a royal priesthood, his holy people, forgiven, redeemed, and chosen for his kingdom purpose. May you walk in boldness and courage, knowing that you carry the power of the spirit of the living God. May you seek and pursue peace at all times, May you speak words of life and truth that you may be a blessing wherever your feet tread. The eyes of the Lord be upon you and his ears open to your prayer for you are his righteous. May the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ himself restore you, confirm you, strengthen you and establish you. May the Father be glorified in and through your lives always. We thank you for your word, Lord, and we receive it now in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Thank you for tuning in. For more messages like these and other resources, you can visit our website at endurban.org. Remember to subscribe to our podcast channel to stay up to date with the latest sermon. Be blessed.